You are now listening to Rest Days. Before we dive into this week's episode, it's important for us to note that some of the topics we cover could be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Today is a very special episode of Rest Days. We have our second ever guest, Miss Lauren Bell. Lauren is also known as Nutrition Low on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and her role is to be a public health nutrition advocate. She lives here in New Orleans with me. It's how we met. I am so lucky. And uh, Lauren's originally from Maryland, and in the pandemic, she realized she really wanted to learn a lot about nutrition, so she applied to Tulane School of Public Health, got her public health degree, and now she is working for the Louisiana Department of Health to help evaluate heart disease in the state, which is such vital and critical work. Um, in addition to this, she's also a professor at Tulane School of Professional Advancement. She teaches an intro to nutrition course. If you aren't following her already on TikTok, you absolutely need to. She is an incredible... You should make a TikTok and follow her. Yes, yes. <laughs> She's an incredible uh, educator on TikTok, as well as just someone who is so down to earth, who will walk you through not only you know the basics of nutrition or unpacking diet culture, but she really gets in the weeds on unpacking whiteness in the American food system. She gets into you know the real roots of diet culture, and she also talks about gut health and how you can care for yourself while also making space for understanding food access. So this episode is incredibly special, educational, and it is brought to you by the two of us and the one and only Lauren Bell. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Rest Days. My name is Maria Sylvester Terry, and with me is my fantastic co-host. Ooh, Lauren Lavelle. Hey. And we have our guest today, none other, the one and only Lauren Bell, aka Nutrition Low on social media. That's Twitter. It's Instagram. That's TikTok. And she's just here to get you thinking, unpacking, reimagining your understanding of nutrition from a public health lens. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you all so much. I'm very excited to be here. This is going to be great. I'm I'm excited to chat. Yay. We are so excited to chat with you. And... For the listeners, you know we asked Lauren to come with clickbait. You already know. So I'm going to just let you roll. Uh, Lauren, what's your clickbait? So my clickbait for this time is I was on LinkedIn, as one is, stalking people, as one does. And (laughs) I saw a, a post from the Public Health Institute post about sidewalks. And uh, I will read exactly what it said because I just found it to be hilarious. Um, It says, to build a healthier city, begin at the sidewalk. And as a person who has studied public health, and for anyone else who's listening right now who studied public health, this is something we know and we talk about all the time. Like infrastructure in cities and in general in the United States is a really big issue that prevents people from doing lots of things, not just working out, so to speak. And I just think it's, it's... not comical, maybe ironic, that these articles are suddenly being pu- published and saying like, hey, wait, maybe to like have people have a better quality of life, we should fix their roads. 
Marvel yeah. idea and concept. When in fact, like people living in these neighborhoods, as a person who currently lives in New Orleans, um, people have been screaming about infrastructure for years, for decades, and it's been ignored. And suddenly there's one article published and it's like, this will solve every problem and suddenly everyone will be healthier <laughs> is one as it's titled clickbait and I just found it to be comical. So thank it's like, you it's for giving, it's day. giving Christopher Columbus. It's like, we discovered this. <laughs> like, shocking. No one thought of that before you, not We've one person. We've known about this. We right. know this is an issue. Yes, it's very much. Uh, we discovered quinoa as a superfood in 2011. Right, <laughs> get, right. get out of here. Get yeah. out of here with your founding. Um, I'm really into this uh, one because I love stalking on LinkedIn very much. So thank you. I'm curious, where is the Public Health Institute located? That's a great question. I think I like started following their posts when I first went into public health and then have I like they post things occasionally. I don't even know where it is. I should look that up. It's somewhere yeah, in the United curious. States for sure. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I find it funny because if it was, I, I can't imagine it's New Orleans based. No. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause no. that, that, that post would hurt some feelings. Yeah. <laughs> People would be fighting in the comments. I would be one of them fighting in the comments. Are you yeah, kidding? Yeah. Have you seen yeah. the votes? Find me with my popcorn. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Lauren Bell, for coming so prepared with incredible clickbait. We really, we really need to know more about Lauren Bell. Like, oh, I am, I am I no Lauren. I wish I would have brought my it? bell up. Yes. Oh, I wish you would have too. That's 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 what I tell people when they don't know my name. Yeah. Like it's like ring a bell every time, and I do just yes. like this. <laughs> well, I, I I want everyone to know um, that we admire Lauren Bell so much, and Lauren's role as a creator on TikTok is like ir- irreplaceable. We need you. <laughs> We need you to keep doing what you're doing. I think it would be really helpful for people to know, like, who is Nutrition Low? Who are you? Where are you from? Give us a little bit of backstory. Who is this incredible person who's educating us all the time? Try my best. Um, Who am I? Great questions you're asking. (laughs) I ask myself that every day. Um, Well, I am a cancer son. Just kidding. I could go into astrology, but we don't have to do that. (laughs) We do Uh, that. We need the three. We need the three, actually. I am a Virgo rising, Cancer sun, and Gemini moon. I have a Gemini moon. I love Virgos. Thank you. Um, I come off as a Virgo to people all the time because I look like I'm put together, but I'm not. You have a Gemini stellium? Yeah. Sick. Yeah. So, what is, wait, what are you all signs really quick? I'm going to talk about myself, I promise. I just. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Lauren, why do you go first? Maria and I are both Libra risings, and mm-hmm. I am a Sag sun and moon, but I'm also a Sagittarius stellium, so the sister sign of the Gemini stellium. Yeah. yeah. My mom is a Sag. I know you all so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my mom is a Sag, so the relationship is just wild. <laughs> um, I feel very seen and comforted by everyone in this in this pod. Um, I... Emma Taurus Sun and also a Libra Moon and Rising. So I've got a lot, a lot of floatiness happening here, uh, but highly grounded individual, a lot of earth sign up in this place. Including a Holding lot of down. Like, fun energy, fun flirting with life energy from the both of you as Sag mm. and Libra placements. Um, I love astrology, that's one thing about me. But in terms of what I actually do to my day to day life, um, I'm originally <laughs> 
from Maryland and I was born in DC and from the DMV area for those familiar with it. Um, I moved to New Orleans in 2020 to go to grad school at Tulane and I got my degree in public health nutrition. When I started learning more about nutrition, more about public health, I started my Instagram account, Nutrition Low, at the recommendation of several of my friends who kept asking me questions about nutrition. Um, mind you, at the time, I was not doing any nutrition. I was just aggressively obsessed with it because I had <laughs> so many issues going on. And I was like, I need to learn. I need to teach myself. So I was like, I'm going to make an Instagram. And then um, I was at home during the pandemic like everyone else. And I was like, I'm going to go get my degree. And I did. Um, and now I create content on Instagram and TikTok, not Twitter as much because I'm a bad tweeter. But um, yeah, I just enjoy educating people on food and educating people on diet culture and what that is and what that looks like and I think what was missing from a lot of the spaces that I mean I'm sure you all have seen this is when people are talking about diet culture and people just in general in the nutrition and dietetic space as we all know are white uh white (laughs) women specifically and no shade to them at all I love that people are doing anti-diet work wherever they're coming from but I found when I was trying to enter into learning more about it myself there was not many people like me that were in it i feel like lauren actually your instagrams was one of the first that i saw that i was like oh this person is also like not a white woman that's sick mm-hmm. um my only and- qualifications you're like everything else <laughs> after that i know just i like- was like i somebody um i followed one person laura you who i think you all may also know of from- course yeah yeah um I knew her from New York. Uh, she was very helpful to me when I was living there. And I followed her on Instagram. I think she reposted you, Lauren, or something like that. And I was just, like, stalking all the people she followed or something like that. And thus, it began. But once again, Laura, who is also not a white woman, doing the, doing the work right. in the space. And I found that that was lacking a lot. And uh, there was a lot of lack of, like, understanding where these diet culture myths were coming from and stemming from and a lot of it stems from uh, racist ideologies that began when the country began or Mm -hmm. even before and I wanted people to know more about that Uh, I also just like to talk about gut health which is like a side thing that I also do but that's just a passion project because I have uh, IBS so I love (laughs) to talk about it Uh, but in general I I feel like that's the work I try to do is educating people um, about diet culture from an anti-racist lens mm, so that people get all the connections of where it's coming from because i think people don't understand i think people sometimes understand racism and they understand fat phobia they don't understand how they're connected and i think what i've experienced especially through tiktok is that people get very offended with either and then when you put the two together it's like oh i can't yeah, be absolutely. both like you can and you may not know it I'm just here to highlight it for you and to like drop the veil so that you understand what you're actually saying. And I think a lot of people say things like, you know, on TikTok about bodies and stuff without realizing how harmful it is. So I'm just yeah. here to tell people more about it. 100%. Love that. Yeah. Um, one thing I love about your educational style is it's, it acknowledges that people are uncomfortable and it doesn't skirt around that. It's like, I wonder why you're uncomfortable. Like, let's unpack that. Let's talk about it. I'm in my car. Like, let's unpack this. I have so, so loved your approach um, in just naming the thing and not, you know, I, I find that the fields can be very like, oh, it's uncomfortable. Let's not talk about it because it makes me wonder, like, should I 
a lot of white dietitians, uh, like, should I have even become a dietitian? Mm-hmm. Should I even be here? It's just like immediate, mm-hmm. uh, like, victim. Um, the, the victim fragility, <laughs> like all of it. Um, and I find that no. um, you have been um, so instrumental in people, you know, learning the connection, but also recognize like, yeah, you are also going to be wildly uncomfortable here. And that is okay. So yeah. um, I, I find it, your educational styles, uh, it's just so good for TikTok. It's so good in general, but like TikTok needs it. So I am curious, we had one, I don't know, one lecture in my dietetics program uh, on what is public health nutrition. I had one course called community nutrition. So even someone who's in the field might not really actually know what is public health nutrition and what is your role in the field. So you graduated from Tulane, you got your master's Mm -hmm. of public health in nutrition. Mm -hmm. And for anyone listening, that's, you know, one of like an incredible program. Um, It's like a pretty well-known program uh, for international public health too, which is awesome. So can you give us a, like, what is public health nutrition? Can you say it, uh, say, you know, whatever uh, brief or uh, extensive definition you want and what is your role in the field currently? Yeah, I will try to explain it succinctly. (laughs) No, I'm not a succinct person. As I said, Gemini, Stellium, I I I struggle. (laughs) Um, So Public health nutrition is very different, and being a public health nutritionist, a nutritionist in general, is very different from being um, a dietitian, which is something that I always have to remind people, including my family, who don't quite understand it is what I do, because the field of public health to them is what is that? Um, they just you know they know doctors and that's it. But um, I think what's important to note is that the role of a public health nutritionist is heavily in like understanding where a lot of issues with nutrition and nutrition and chronic disease come from and where they stem from and how one in some ways some people focus on research and like learning more about that and explaining that like where these issues are coming from to other people um other people work directly in community health nutrition which would be you know that could be working with food banks that could be working on nutritional education in schools or in other um public places that people can learn basic nutrition facts. Um, other times it's teaching. Other times it's just serving food somewhere. It can be the maximum amount of things. It can be the minimum amount of things. But the whole idea is that you're focusing on the root of issues relating to public health. And I think that's the broader form of public health in general is there is a focus on systemic issues, especially with I mean, the program I was in was focusing on the United States, but you can do like international health. But there are tons of issues that come into play that affect how people access food and affect how people um, eat, affect what they like to eat. And that's what public health nutrition is focusing on. Whereas it's very different from a dietitian who can like help somebody one on one with a dietary plan, can calculate the exact amount of nutrients they may need if they're having struggles getting some dietitians help people like post-surgery or pre-surgery or when there's very specific health issues that are impacting their diet, dietitians come in there and also can help with more specialized issues like um, eating disorders or disordered eating. Whereas like me, I'm not going to be subscribing anybody advice. I don't want to do that one legally and two, it's not the field in which I am in. And dietitians work very hard to do that. <laughs> and I, I try to remind people that all the time. I'm like, I do know a lot about nutrition and I like to talk about it. However, I am not a dietitian and I don't want to give professional advice that I should not be giving. So that is one thing I will say to people, and I'm sure you all have said it 
um, in general to anyone. Never get advice from people about a diet unless they're a dietitian. And in general, most dietitians that are good are like, don't go on fad diets. So anyway, small rant. Hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was that was fantastic. Thanks for for walking us through, and thanks also for the distinction because I think folks assume they hear nutrition at the end of your degree, and they're like, "Cool, tell me what I can eat, tell me what I should eat," and you have not unveiled to them all that you know and all that you feel about those types of questions yet. So it can be very startling to people when they're like, "You're not going to tell me what to eat, or that I'm being good." <laughs> Constantly, they. I think people always want to seek approval from mm. anybody in nutrition, health, and wellness. Anything. I'm sure you all have experienced this, where you're just living your life, and then someone's like, well, "What do you think about this?" And it, right. you know what? I will say I am guilty of it. I and Lauren, I'm sure you've experienced this. If you ever like are in the gym with somebody and they're like, "Wait, is this move right?" Because I have friends who are they do CrossFit, they do training, personal training, anything like that, and I'm always like, if I go to the gym with them. I'm like, so, like, how, what do you feel about if I lift the bar this way? Like, what? And they're like, I don't, dude, I don't know. <laughs> That's not what I specialize in. Like, I, like, do something completely different. So I'm guilty of it also. But, um, yeah, I get that a lot. So I'm sure you guys do, too. Well, I laughed when Lauren laughed when you said approval. Because if there's anything we know about Lauren Lavelle is that she's not seeking the approval. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Is Quite that why you laughed? Because that's that's why I laughed. I'm just confirming we're on the same page here. Yeah, I, I made okay. a face because I'm definitely not seeking anyone's approval. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I get it though. I get it. I get it. Yeah, um, yeah I love sure. that. I love the distinction, and I love that. From what it sounds like, it feels like your role is like a little bit more of a macro role as opposed to like an individual role. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's the biggest distinction about public health in general is that a lot of the work that we do is on a macro level and not necessarily on a micro level unless, you know, it depends on the job you have, obviously. The job I currently have is I have several, several jobs as one does um, these days because it's hard to exist in the United States without... Being a hardworking boss lady, that was <laughs> hashtag girl boss. Hashtag girl, girl boss. Um, Women, women's month or whatever. It is, it is <laughs> women's month. Women's day was recently. I would like to just not be working. That'd be dope too. Or, or, um, you're, you're in the right place. Okay, great. I don't want to be, yeah, rest day. I want to yes. be rest um, But I can't. Uh, so many diet trolls I have to fight on the internet. Um, <laughs> I'm just in a silly goof mood today, guys. So oh, I I'm coffee. so glad. Um, I forgot the original question. Please, I interrupted. Yay. Um, I don't even know if there was a question. No, we were just talking about the, the macro and micro level yes. of like doing nutrition work and working within yeah. communities and all of that. <laughs> yes. 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 That and is working. the work of a public health nutrition and working. Yeah. I, I do think the work that public health nutritionist doer is incredibly important and I'm proud to be doing that work in any way. Um, mm. And it's the work I'd rather be doing than other things. So. Yeah. Right. Right. yeah, that's important. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you kind of gave us a great layup um, because you said the work of public health nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk a lot about food access today and what that mm-hmm. means and looks like. And uh, you know, some folks might hear food access and they just think like, yeah, poor people who need food stamps and <laughs> like, yeah, Sorry. some some people can't afford 
vegetables so they uh, have we complain about programs. We complain about eggs every week on this show right right <laughs> like <laughs> it's like a streak at this point yeah. like uh, you know a public health nutrition is obviously to us obvious to us right more than poverty and more than yeah. food stamps it's yeah. more than food boxes uh that can mm-hmm. you know however, however we want to look at it it's a lot deeper than this and you spend a lot of time educating folks on the interwebs about yeah. this could you break down in whatever capacity you like talk about it however you want um when you think of food access or in access what do you think of yeah i am really and i'm glad you said that people often associate it only with poor people. I think that people don't understand that food access can be hard for, I'm just getting distracted because my neighbor is blasting Anita Baker right now in the middle of the day. Sorry. <laughs> I just heard Anita Baker's voice like very loud and I was like, oh, okay. I love um, it. Sorry. So I think, like you said, food access has to do with where and how you're getting food. The difference between people who do not have the means to do that and people that do is, is simply money and class. And that's something that in public health nutrition, we touch on a lot. I think I'm, I mean, I'm currently living in New Orleans and it is unfortunately, I've always told people since I moved here is a great city to study food access in because there are so many different conglomerations of people in each neighborhood and the way in which they live their lives in that neighborhood really shows the differences in class in a way that is not always presently shown in other cities. Um, so uh, this is great because I was looking for apartments in a neighborhood called the Bywater, um, which for those who are not from New Orleans is a bit of a hipstery type neighborhood these days. Um, it wasn't always that way, but it has become that. And something that is, is noted about that area is that there are no grocery stores over there. There are none, but the houses and the rent is, is obscene. It is very high for like what people on average make in New Orleans. The difference is people in that neighborhood can afford to not have typical food access because they have cars, they have money, they can order their groceries from Amazon and get them delivered. They can order whatever they want and get them delivered at no cost to them and have these luxury apartments and houses because they can get get in their car and go to the Whole Foods 20 minutes away. They don't even need sidewalks. They don't need sidewalks (laughs) because they have cars and they can go, they can drive to the gym and go work out and do whatever they want, you know? And I think that is what I like to bring to people's mind. And something I also noticed when I went home for the holidays to Maryland is that the suburbs where my parents live, also there are, you can't walk anywhere. You there, even to get to the closest bus stop is like a mile, but they assume everybody in the suburbs has access to a car. Can, if they need to, they can Uber, they can do all these things. And once again, food access becomes like the last thing because no one's thinking about practical food access, which is, Everyone in a perfect world should be able to walk to and from a grocery store and be able to carry their groceries back. But with food access, something that people don't think about, and this is what I really get mad about on TikTok when people are judging individuals' food choices or where they shop, which is a very common thing people do when they're like, well, just change what you're eating. You're eating too much fast food, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) When you have to go three, four miles or however long on a bus to... I will use New Orleans again. If you, if the closest grocery store in any way to use a Walmart, you don't have a car. The only way you can get there is the bus. Do you really want to lug hundreds of pounds? Of, this is an exaggeration. Fifty pounds of groceries <laughs> on the bus back home, walking to and from a bus stop. Well, after walking through the Walmart, 
after having a full day of work because I wouldn't want to do that. In and the heat. In the heat. And it's hot. In the and heat, think, with kids, with, with kids. disability, like. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. It's not convenient in any way. And that is what food access is. is the, the point of bringing up food access is to bring that conversation to light, to bring in the nuances of what happens in everyday life for real people and not what people are just like being touted by the media or what doctors are saying. Eat just, the, you know, eat better. Mm-hmm. Eat, shop on the perimeter or, you know. Yeah. Some of these get, stores don't have a perimeter. Like, exactly, it is I'm what like, it is. Like. It is what it is. <laughs> I'm getting what I can get. And one thing I've been really <clears throat> loud and vocal about on TikTok is the demonization of frozen and canned foods, which is obscene and just ridiculous and came out of nothing. I think this whole, you know, the health movement that has come into play in the decades, but this idea that frozen vegetables, frozen fruit is bad for you. Canned food has too much sodium and it's going to like impact you in all these dramatic ways. And I think what really bothers me is that people, that is some, some of the times the only food that you're going to get and nutrients are going to be there regardless and if you can get nutrients from there, that's where you should get nutrients from. And yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm on a rant because I can keep going on. I'm trying to re- rein myself in. Oh, you're, it's, um, a relevant, it's a relevant rant. Good, good. Yes. It's just, yeah, it really pisses me off in many ways because people don't understand. It's like almost people don't understand that real people exist in the world. Not everybody has a car. <laughs> Like right. not everybody lives in walking distance to things, and this Here's is not just people in the that city. real people exist. That real they, like, people they exist. Forget. Like I'm like, yeah, we're not all exist. having the exact identical experience. Correct. And I think that, that that's really what it comes down to when we're talking about a macro and micro level, and like people being able to look outside of themselves. Like we're not having the same experience, but putting that onus on the individual is like the point right it's like what keeps these like insidious systems going is because no 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 just do better like look around you there's there's nowhere to do better i can't even walk to better like it's too far so i think that what you're saying is like i feel i deeply feel that yeah Yeah, it's it's really absurd and also just so it it i think unleashes a form of self-hate in people that I had not seen, and I'm sure you all have experienced on yes. both Instagram and TikTok, uh, the way it's coming out at, you know, back at us when we're porting out is like you, that is all within you. Like you have some things, some demons you need to work out on like why you get so mad about me saying frozen food is still okay to eat. Like there's no reason that that should be eliciting a response and someone calling me lazy and like disgusting or whatever people say on the on the tiktok so maybe it's because they want to feel like they have a leg up and are better than someone yeah that's exactly that's where my head went like it would mean that maybe they could also access the same feelings that you joy and nutrition Uh and happiness happiness and safety like "Mm, that's only reserved for people who work real hard and cut their own (laughs) vegetables Yes. If you aren't chopping them yourself, don't even talk to me, right? It's like, and if you uh, aren't growing them, don't talk to me. No. (laughs) Try try growing tomatoes here in the summer in your backyard. Try. It's very difficult. (laughs) Well, I think there's something, Lauren, Lauren Bell, that you, I've brought this up to you before. There's something that you talked about that was very specific to food access issues 
in New Orleans because you shopped at a local grocery store in your neighborhood, right? And yeah, that local grocery store had a unique scenario that you did not have at other grocery stores. And would you mind just explaining that? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I'm just, it can be two different situations. So like, <laughs> no, great, great. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was like, are you talking about, I, I don't have to say the names of the grocery stores. Are you talking about a grocery store in Mid-City? You're talking about a grocery store in the Bywater. Mid-city? Bywater Marini. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I think I think I know what I'm talking about. You're talking about. Um, so this grocery store is a local owned grocery store in New Orleans, and I think what I found to be most fascinating. I think if this is, um, I hope this is what you're mentioning. It was extremely expensive yes. to shop there. Yes. And this same neighborhood is the one I was talking about earlier, where I was like, people in this neighborhood are very well off, and they can drive to other grocery stores to get affordable food and to get you know, high quality produce or whatever. But if you just like, if you don't have a car and that's the only grocery store, cause that's the biggest grocery store in that region of the city. Yes. And you're trying to shop there. There is no reason that that grocery store should, I think I spent like, I did not get that many groceries. It was like almost $250. I remember it was in the 200. And I was like, is this for real? <laughs> I remember being so mad because I, Go. I shop at Whole Foods quite often because that's now the closest grocery store to my apartment. And I spend, on average, every time I go, maybe, and I, you know, I'm not eating that much. I go, like, weekly, maybe, like, $90, $90 to $100. And that is a special Whole Foods um, yes, yes. comparative mm-hmm. to other Whole Foods in the country. They, they have... Um, like regulated prices compared to the neighborhood they're in. So it's accommodating accommodating your own eating stuff. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So it's different, but there is no reason that the local grocery store that was supposed to be there and created to alleviate a food desert, which I can go into the term of food desert. I won't, but for the context of me just explaining quickly, I will use food desert. Um, It's not helpful to people. It's not, it's more expensive. And the food on top of that is not that great of quality. Like you go in there and you're looking at, on the perimeter or whatever you're seeing the fresh produce it's all withered it's not great and it costs an arm and a leg for what who is it right for it to be like already done for by the time i get it home yep and the second i get it home the next day i'm like well that was a wrap so i that's the worst yes and i think it perpetuates the narrative of well people in this neighborhood don't want to eat healthy People in this neighborhood don't want to buy XYZ food. So we're not going to keep stocking it because mm-hmm. it's not selling. It's like, well, it's not selling. Therefore, it's not rotating. Therefore, no one is going to buy the unrotated vegetables that probably needed to be, unfortunately, discarded. Um, but yes, that or is donated. exactly. Or donated. Like there's, um, I'm, I'm glad that you remembered. I, I don't know if it was like r- new in your move here. I just remember seeing it and you being like, um, this grocery store is costing me triple digits on things that like if I went to a Walmart or a Whole Foods, it wouldn't cost this much. And I think that's It was actually also- like a year in, which is sad. I was, yeah, sad. <laughs> I mean, it is it is sad. And I think it's also a part of food access that we forget about that sometimes the place it's like oh well you have a an x store in your neighborhood it shouldn't be that hard to buy vegetables well yeah it is if the price is astronomical so yeah i'm, I'm glad you brought it up i think it's another great example um, that folks could could kind of apply to their schema now of like what is happening with with food access um 
we love talking about geography here. Um, I we t- last week on our podcast, um, Lauren said whether you need whether you want to cool off or air out because in some ways or like you're like warm up or air out um, because I'm always trying to cool off here and air out and sometimes Lauren's trying to get cozy warm. So we talk about weather, we talk about climate, we talk about regionality, differences mm. in spice. So one time. Lauren uh, kind of called out people in the Midwest for not having spices in their cabinets. And all we got for like three weeks were pictures of people's spice racks. Because <laughs> they're like, no, I swear. We love a controversial <laughs> take. <laughs> it was so good. It was a pumpkin spice related thing. And um, we also would love to hear, you know, what are what do you observe from a regional standpoint? Like we li- you live in the Deep South. Uh, you live in Louisiana, which yep. ranks in uh, some, you know, pretty not great lists um, for health and wellness. And oh. like, tell, you know, <laughs> throw like, out the lists. <laughs> so like, um, t- tell us, tell us your thoughts on like, you know, your work as it is in the South versus maybe other oh, regions. I, I would love to. Um, I'm going into the accent already. God. Um, so, <laughs> not uh, the contagious accent. No, it's, it's, it's being caught. Um I am originally from the East Coast, um, similar to you two. I'm not far from Philly, uh, but I do have an issue with Philly, but that's just because I'm from the DMV. Everybody has an issue with Philly. I also have an issue with Baltimore. It's like right there. The language, the Philadelphia is extremely polarizing. It is. It is. And I say this to people all the time. It's not even a hot take. Everyone feels either you love it or you hate it. Yeah, I, it's true. But it's true. There's a reason and... I'm here, you know? Exactly. We already you know, talked you, about this earlier. Yeah, you, you gotta <laughs> love it to be there. And I think that growing up on the East Coast and growing up in the DMV, I was very lucky in the way that I grew up in terms of food access in a way that I didn't quite understand until I moved to the Deep South. On top of that, one thing that my friend actually pointed out to me before I moved here is that she's the first thing she said to me was, I was like, oh, is there a grocery store near me, blah, blah, blah. She's like, yeah, there's some, but like just warning you, like the produce won't be as fresh as in DC because we both went to college in DC. And I remember being like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? It's produce. And I lived in New York before this, so it was also not really an issue. One thing I will say about living in this part of the deep south is that there are not, there are farms around here, of course. But a lot of our food is is being transported from Texas, sometimes California yep. or Florida. And when that happens, in terms of food access, like it is on a on a what's it called a tractor trailer or whatever, you know, for days, hours, you know. And by the time it gets into the store, that's often why I at least my my take is like why it gets to the store and it's wilted. It's coming from such far distances. Whereas on the East Coast, it's like it's coming from a far distance, but far distance is in like two three hours. You know, like there's tons of farms in that region of the country that are not very far. And I mean, you all know this being from Pennsylvania. There's, I mean, tons of farms there, tons of land where people are growing things. Also, I grew up going to a lot of Amish markets. I'm sure that you all did too. Yeah. I mean, I'm from California, so I come from a different region Uh, that... Honestly, I don't even eat avocados on the East Coast, but we won't get into it. But, um. <laughs> right. but they're different. Like, you understand things are different because you know the quality of what it could be. I feel that way about crab products in New Orleans because I'm from Maryland and mm-hmm. I have a thing about blue mm-hmm. crab. I don't eat them very often here because it will not taste the same. But I think that that's something I really was shocked about living in the South is, like, the way where people were getting their food and where people were coming from and even – you know, meeting local farmers at the farmer's market and seeing the type of things that they're 
farming is, is so different because the climate is so different. It's so hot down here. And that also impacts what people are cooking and impacts what people want to eat. And and on top of that, mm-hmm. like Louisiana not only is ranked low in, you know, lots of things, unfortunately, <laughs> but like education is very different down here. I have a lot of friends who are teachers who moved down here to teach as, as a lot of people do. And I think that that was a big thing that I noticed the difference in and the way in which I was even educated about food in school, which was not that much. And I mean, I did go to private school in my whole life in Maryland. So it is on top of that, even more different. But then seeing what people know about food here is incredibly Mm -hmm. different from what I I was taught and the way people feel about food. And food is such a deep and important part of New Orleans culture, especially and in, in, Uh in the general South. But New Orleans especially is such a unique relationship with food. That And I think, Maria, we've talked about this, that coming in as a person who's doing nutrition work here, you have to come in with a level of respect for the culture of food here that a lot of people don't. And you have to come in with um, a lot of understanding of why people eat what they eat and not demonizing food in that way. And I think that a lot of people tend to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, dietetics work is they forget the cultural nuance of existence. And what food means to people. Food is nourishment, of course, but it's also, you know, it's family. It's it's important time. And I think that in the South, especially, people really see that. And people I- ignore that sometimes when it comes to nutrition and dietetics. And regionally speaking, it's something that I've really tried to keep in mind when doing any nutrition work here is that food is so meaningful um, mm-hmm. for so many reasons. Yeah. Yes, I, I I actually think of that when I think of like New Orleans versus like other places like it's more centered in like a food culture where like you can access a lot of things in a lot of places, but like the passion and like passion. and like and and really the uh, like the ties to like one's history and uh, culture are like a little bit they're they're different and they're different everywhere. And learning to navigate that in your in your job and in Maria's job are like a very uh, fun times. So I think it's like learning learning a new language. Like it it's is. just learning. Yeah, I know it is. It's it's been cool. I mean, I'm sure Maria, you have a similar. You've been here longer than me, I think, too. So I'm sure you have a very similar thought about it, especially yeah, in the work that you've become... done since being here. Yeah, completely. Um, and in the work I've done since being here, uh, it's ethically very complicated for me. Uh, because it it really asked me to look at what you know like hundred year old recipes. You're like, um, we yeah. can fix this. Yeah, like man, no. what? Yeah, me- it wasn't meant to never. be fixed. It wasn't. Well, I think that's part of it, right? Is I think because there is so much passion that it almost feels like there is no middle ground. Like when folks like they're like, well, my cultural foods are the problem, and I have to constantly remind dietitians folks that I used to work with, like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with cultural foods. Because if you think about it, they have been keeping populations of people alive for hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's not really the cultural foods that are ever the issue. 
in so many ways, it is these larger pieces that your work addresses. Um, it is also the how, how we talk about ourselves, how we talk about how we eat. Like, there's also a lot of like, oh, New Orleans is a delicious place, but you can't, you know, you can't eat healthy here. You can't eat well here unless someone fixes it, unless someone right. adjusts it, unless we replace white rice with brown, which is like an insult to a gumbo or insult to, yeah. you know, uh, to I a could fight about dish. the white rice, brown rice. Yeah. I could personally throw hands on that. Like just and eat the white rice, just eat it. Like for one meal, it's nothing's going to happen. Honestly, that's, you yeah. will be okay. You will be okay. Truly. Um, well, it, it kind of brings up this interesting thing. I don't know if you heard about this program, uh, that li- that existed here called sugar busters. Are you aware of that? No, but that is a okay. So name. yeah, um. so it's like a I think a, I think a '90s thousands program. A lot of my Ooh. older, a lot of my uh, older Throwback. clients. Yeah, it's like my my Gen X or definitely my Boomer clients. Um, they talk about you know can't eat sugar, can't eat white refined carbs, all of this stuff because of a program that existed here called Sugar Busters, and it was a, I believe a public health nutrition program. So I didn't know if you ever reviewed it at Tulane, yeah. like as this is actually not helpful. An um, artifact. An artifact. I probably hid yes. that from the archives. To be honest, <laughs> they, I, what I will say, luckily about my program is that the the professors I had had have clearly done a lot of work and research since the nineties and two thousands. Sure. To not yes. be promoting that as much, but I'm sure they wiped that from there. Like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't, don't talk about this. We don't talk about it. Well, my clients talk about it, and I mm. think it proves the point that like it's not that we can find a balance. It's not that we can find the middle right it's that we have to fight this like cultural entity that we love food with the fact that we can't eat certain things it's just super polarizing and i think our public health nutrition work here has to be different it has to be different otherwise it makes people feel you know versions of that self-hate right like of like i have to hate where I'm from. I have to hate the way I was raised. I have to hate the food that I so love. Um, Festival season always is the end of me. Mardi Gras is the end Mm. of me. Um, Mm. I just think it, and in my work, it brings up a lot of that all or nothing thinking and the uh, pendulum Mm -hmm. swinging of behaviors. So I definitely see it. You, you know it. Um, it, I see it on a different, in a different angle. And in my previous work, I saw it uh, personally, just it wrecking my philosophy. Mm -hmm. Like it just wrecked how I aligned with my work and it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it led to better things obviously where I can work now as, as, on my own thing. But I find that like the forces that be the public health nutrition policies that be, um, they are powerful and the people that have uh, the microphone are very loud and sometimes hard to interrupt. <laughs> what, you, yeah. made, you made a face Lauren. So I know you're feeling it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're just, like, clutching to all these things, and and it fuels a cycle that we've been talking about, which is, like, a guilt and a hierarchy and classism and ableism and fat phobia and, like, all of those things. Yeah, I would completely agree. And I think also what's interesting is, like, something that you kind of touched upon is, like, this feeling that people have, like, it has to be my fault. It has to be my food that I'm eating. I think that that's something that could not only be said for people from New Orleans, but for, I think, a lot of uh, people of color in the United States. I think for so long, um, this is something that a lot of people that you you all also work with and talk to talk about on their Instagrams and TikToks as well. But 
it's the idea that we've been told for so long that the foods that we hold dear are bad for us and they're evil and we must put them away and they are and they need to be made better until they are discovered as superfoods 10 years down the line and suddenly they're <laughs> great amazing yeah um and i think that that is that is the heart, the i think the reason why public health nutrition work and nutrition work in general for people of pe- like people a little done by people who are not white is so important because it is important to get that message out that your food is still okay. Like you can still eat the foods that you grew up on. It's not bad. It's not, there's nothing bad about it. And to the shame that, you know, so many people are holding was not brought on by, by us, you know, it was brought on by the powers that be that are like throwing. It's very puritanical. Like, Oh, we have to throw our stuff away and like like, get closer to eating these very select few foods with a lack of flavor. Um, and in that way we will become better because we are so disciplined and we are so far above what we grew up eating or what we grew up enjoying. And like, now we're better. Like Mm. it's such a hierarchy when it comes to like who gets to have good foods. And also, like we said, we wouldn't be sustaining people this long if these foods were not good. white rice people have lived all these for thousands of years right white rice is like literally running the game like (laughs) been that girl been that girl so like why you know like why brown rice okay let let her live but like no she's not cute she has her days sometimes right she has she has a she brings a little texture she brings a little little excitement yeah 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 but no I want white rice in my Chipotle bowl. Sorry, Absolutely. and I'm gonna eat it, and it tastes good. It was a little cilantro. I want, I want no rice at Chipotle and double beans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, real quick, real quick, a uh, quick round here. Uh, black or pinto at your Chipotle bowl? Go. Ooh, I'm a pinto black. girl these days. <laughs> um, I'm also a pinto girl these days. I was a strong black bean girl for a while. I grew up with What's Cuban, so. Ah, there you go. There you go. Okay, really glad we could uh, take a moment there. Uh, (laughs) Lauren Lavelle, um, I have been in like prime uh, interview Barbara Walters uh, mode. Um, Do you have questions that you want to lay up to Lauren here that maybe I missed or anything that's, you know, on your mind? I mean, I am just enjoying listening to what Lauren has to say about all this stuff. I feel like we could, we don't even need any more questions. We can just continue talking. But I knew we were going to talk a little bit more about like community fridges and the idea of yeah. like mutual aid and community work with, and how that ties into public health and nutrition. But I don't know what what uh, kinds of things New Orleans has going on with that kind of stuff. So. I can talk about it. Um, <laughs> I am so excited to talk about it. And this, I get to plug some organizations. Um, yes. When uh, for Tulane's program, you have to do a practicum. I did my practicum with an organization called Food Rescue, which is a nationwide organization that helps to um, alleviate food waste, essentially. So what Food Rescue does is partner up with restaurants, local bakeries, sometimes coffee shops, anywhere that has food. Um, and it takes food that normally shops would just throw out. This is a very common practice in many restaurants around the nation is like 
you know, a day old, two day old croissants are like, we're throwing them out. And I used to work at a coffee shop in DC. And like, at the end of the day, we like, you couldn't reuse the pastries. Right. So either we would take them home or we'd give them to, to people. We can give the people on the street if we wanted. We could give them to our friends. We could like sometimes just throw them away. People really didn't want them. But the point is food rescue is a middleman there. And it's like, we're not going to waste that food. We will pick it up from you. And then we will deliver it either to a food bank, um, a community fridge, which uh, there's a really nice network of community fridges in New Orleans. Their Instagram handle, I think, is NOLA Community Fridges, um, which are located all around the city. And anybody can just go and drop off food. And a lot of cities have this now, which is a great way for people to get access to food with uh, little to no worry. It'll be there. but yeah, Food Rescue is a great organization. There's a few other mutual aid organizations that I cannot think of their exact names off the top of my head, but they are, there's a really great network here. I think also because New Orleans is subject to natural disasters, unfortunately, that people have to be very tight knit already. Mm-hmm. And they have to figure out a way to redistribute resources. And I think that's a really big thing with Food Access is that those programs are often already running in some way. There's often something going on and especially a few years ago there was hurricane ida that really affected the city of new orleans um and the food networks were very strong in that way and like making sure if there's any bit of food where can we have people go there to get it to pick it up to redistribute it if there's fresh food that's going to go bad how can we get that cooked and served to people and i I think that that's been the beauty of living here is seeing how those those play out and how they work um and i think a lot of cities have this but i think I, what I will say of like smaller cities or like not major cities, I have not lived, this, New Orleans is not a major city in comparison to New York City, which is where I used to live, but the connections are really important and people really care about each other and want to make sure people are eating. And, and that's something that I always hold very dear about New Orleans mm-hmm. um, and helps to help people with food access. And that's like a big part of community fridges, honestly, is a lot of the community fridges are in places where pe- there are no grocery stores and like People like can't walk easily to a grocery store because the sidewalks don't exist. Um, but there's community fridges and people can go in and get, they want water, pastries, whatever. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good network. And I am excited that the city is continuing to do it or not necessarily the city, the people of the city are continuing to Correct. sponsor and support these community efforts. Let me be clear. The people of New Orleans are doing this work. That's what yes. I want to make that point out. Yeah. Um, if I can add one thing about the fridges for anyone who's listening, we do have uh, New Orleanian listeners. I find that really exciting. It costs about less, I think it's less than $20 a month to host a fridge. So if you're interested in hosting a fridge, you can reach out to NOLA Community Fridges uh, if you're in an area of need. And I, I found that I had clients with food access issues living uptown and there weren't a ton of uptown fridges because that tends to be a pretty affluent area and that you know that if you are someone who lives uptown and you want to be an uptown uh i think there might be one you want to be a community fridge person um it's it's not a huge i mean it's space and it's um the vigilance right i'm just like checking it and making sure it's clean but even some of the restaurants are bringing food chefs are bringing food in you know takeaway boxes uh which is i think super special right like to have access to food that's also delicious prepared right yes it's Um, amazing it's a really i think a lot of chefs here also want from my experience working with chefs i don't know about yours maria because i know you worked with i think a lot more than me but they often really want to give back their food they do 
They do. They want mm-hmm. to give it back to the community, and it's like already there. There's going to be extra at the end of the night. There's no reason that shouldn't be going to people that need it. Um, and I, I think that that's something really beautiful because New Orleans has such great food that people can get to eat that regardless yeah. of that. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Well, thanks for walking us through some uh, programs and sharing your work with them, too. Yes, and we'll get all those links and stuff for yes, the show notes. Yes, we sure will. Um, let's take a, a little swerve, a little pivot, um, because you have this other passion. Uh, Not astrology. I, yeah, no. The, you are... <laughs> You are what you call yourself an IBS girly uh, or IBS bestie. And I, you know, uh, that's obviously super personal that you are interested in IBS. Like it's, it is personally driven. So we don't have to get into necessarily your situation. (laughs) Tell us all your symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, We don't have before on the internet. It's fine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you, when you do talk about um, IBS and gut health, I wonder, like, does it feel... I don't know. Does that face? Does that space feel like affluent as well? The the gut health space, like oh yeah. Like, can you just give us a little like what's it, what's it like talking about food access, and then you go and talk about gut health? Well, let me tell you, they're connected. <laughs> yes, um, and I because it's all connected. That's life, and everything's connected, obviously. Um, but with gut health, and with there's a lot that comes with having IBM, and one of them for me is anxiety i think it's like chicken and egg right and sometimes when i'm having like a flare-up or i'm having a a bad day and my stomach is feeling weird you feel a little anxious about eating different foods i think for a lot of people who have ibs myself included there are certain foods that are safe there are certain foods that are easy and there are certain foods that you know will not upset your stomach oftentimes those foods don't always align with one what you have access to and two what people deem as quote-unquote healthy I think that that's something that is a nuance that is often missed in the IBS conversation and something that actually uh, Laura told me once um, in regards to IBS. I remember I was explaining how I felt really guilty because this was like early on in my personal nutrition journey. I felt guilty because I was having all these flare-ups all the time because I was very anxious. Um, and the only thing I was eating was toast. So I was like, I, I, I feel so bad. I can only eat toast and I shouldn't be having that much bread. And I remember she was like, who told you that was a bad thing? And I was like, what? Um, and I think for me, that's something that I really carried with me in terms of food access, too, because I think people hold a lot of guilt for the things that they can get from the corner store. People hold a lot of guilt. Like, if there's a loaf of bread at the corner store and, like, that is what feels good for you and you you are having IBS flare-up, that's what you're going to eat. And it's important. It's still giving you nutrients, giving you some energy. And I think that is a really big nuance that people don't talk about is when you're having IBS issues, you can't get the most expensive products all the time. They cost money. You can't do like gut rejuvenation juices uh-huh. or whatever. Can I curse on here? I was going to curse. Yeah. I've been cursing. Cool. I was making sure. Um, I was going to say whatever the fuck people want to buy. And then they're promoting on the internet for like fixing your gut microbiome. Right. And that is not at your local corner store. And on top of that, you don't need to be taking such extreme medications all the time to be like working with IBS. IBS is a chronic disease, chronic, not disease necessarily, chronic syndrome and symptoms that come up oftentimes led by anxiety or whatever. In my case, mostly anxiety and stress is when I get a lot of flare ups. But 
in those moments, I cannot afford to be buying something for like $67, 60 to $70 every time, nor do right. I have access to do that. And like where I even live in the city, <clears throat> there's a corner, the closest place for me to get food is a corner store. They're not going to have probiotics there. <laughs> They're not going to no. have uh, the extreme cleanse IBS edition 2023. <laughs> You, you shockingly wouldn't have that. You know what they are going to have? They're going to have like maybe a can of soup, maybe right, some cans, maybe some canned vegetables, like frozen pizza, maybe something like that, like quick things. And I think in the, in the fight that people have with IBS, when you are in living in a place where you don't have access to foods that are going to help you, that's a whole other struggle. Cause how do you get those foods? How are you going out to get, are you, if you don't have a car, are you driving? Or are you, if you can't, afford to order food, what are you doing? And oftentimes that leads to people becoming very restrictive of what they eat. Um, and that leads to other issues that you know, come out for people. But I, I think they are related in many ways because IBS already can be a very isolating thing to have. And when you're already feeling stressed or isolated with food, it can be, it can be hard. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, uh, it's a it's a big topic and it feels like a fancy topic, right? Gut health feels fancy and it should not get, be who, fancy. Who gets to talk about it? Like who right. gets to talk about it? Right. And I when we let not. when you lay it out like the the stress and anxiety piece being such a big factor for you, okay, now layer in the fact that maybe you're stressed about accessing food. Like it yep. is chicken and egg at that point. So you're stressed because um, you have to take three buses to get home from the grocery mm -hmm, store that mm -hmm. is the one that you can access. Like there's so many layers to it. Completely, yep. completely. Thank you for walking us through. I do highly recommend Lauren's gut health and IBS uh TikTok and Instagram content. Lauren's gut health and IBS serum. <laughs> Only $100 per dose. You need three doses for each flare up. Please. And a payment plan. I will help you out with the payment plan. Um, I will plug in this moment. <laughs> I will also plug in this moment. Um, I don't know if you, I feel like you all follow her. Anti-diet IBS, anti-diet IBS dietitian. Is her Instagram name? I think. I don't know. It's like yes, anti-diet.ibs. Yes, you share a lot of her content? Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do. Um, I feel like she's a dietitian. She's also anti-diet, and she specializes in working with clients with IBS. And I have found her content to be so helpful because it's it's very, like, straight and to the point. And when you are having an IBS flare-up and you were like, can I eat this thing or is it going to make me run to the bathroom? Which, <laughs> like, happens. Um, her content is very helpful. And mm -hmm. as I said, I'm not a dietitian, so I can educate people on what IBS is, on what IBD is, on things concerning that, you know, what I have personally done. But if you're looking for actual, like, help or to get somebody to walk you through it, um, she's been very helpful for me. So I would want to spread the love in that way and mm -hmm. also promote because I cannot give that legal advice. But I love <laughs> to talk about it. And we can, we can always oh. chat in some TikTok comments about having IBS problems because... Yes. In there. Yes. Community care. Yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you. We will also tag her in the show notes so folks can access. Um, the last question I have for you is that you are a professor. And I am just curious, as a former teacher, <laughs> dying to know, what do you find yourself repeating or re-educating mm. our young folks on like what and and for those of you who don't know um this is a an intro level nutrition course right yeah okay intro level so like, nutrition course for undergrads 
Yeah. So what do you find yourself constantly reminding your students about nutrition? I am constantly reminding them that diets are fake. I'm constantly reminding them that they need to drink water. They're college (laughs) students. Um, They need, like, drink water. What I will say is that this new generation of kids, as I say, is I'm not that far removed from them, um, are, like, really on it. They're, like, they know the things. And I have been so, like, wowed by the youth of tomorrow. Um, (laughs) And I think it's because of TikTok, honestly. Like, I really feel like they have learned a lot more about, like, unpacking diet culture from, you know, you know, being in the pandemic for the last three years and being at home and just seeing all these people on TikTok being like, oh, this diet didn't work for me. Keto is actually really bad. Or like, oh, I shouldn't be cutting out random things for my diet. Like I need protein. I should, I need carbs. I need fats in my diet in a way that people and generations before me didn't understand. So I'm always repeating it to them. And I was like, this is a reminder. Again, this is why you need carbohydrates. It helps with your brain function. Um, carbohydrates are not just bread. Like they can be in fruits and vegetables too. And that's, that's they the can? Thing eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They can. <laughs> um, which was a big shocker. I feel like I said that to my mom one time and she was like, what? Um, <laughs> I love you mom. If you're listening. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but I'm going to send yeah. it to her. <laughs> She's a sad. So she will have commentary, um, as we discussed. Yes. Um, she will probably give me shit for saying this. But anyway, my point is, I, I just I always try to nail home to them or hammer home to them that everything is essential to your diet. There's no one thing that you need to have more than others. Like mm. to have a healthy and holistic lifestyle and diet is to eat things from many places, um, and to have a nutrient dense diet is important. I try to tell them I don't use words like healthy or not healthy because that's not helpful. But in describing things, I try to say nutrient dense. So I feel like those are the things I repeat the most. Which so far, it seems like they appreciate. I don't know. I like to think I'm a cool professor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably not. I made a joke about Avatar the other day. Like, not the the blue people, but the last airbender. And I was like, you guys watched that, right? And they were like, no. And I was like, that wasn't that long ago. So not that cool. I'm not that cool. You're cool to us. Thank you so yes. much. You all are cool to me. I think you all are really cool. I was really excited when you reached out. I was like, oh, God. I'm going to be on the Cool Kids podcast. Like, <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> Here we are every Friday. We were hoping you were going to say yes. I, I shot my shot in that text. I was, of course, I'm not ever doing anything. Um, I'm, I really am not that cool. I, I was like. I don't do much. I don't, I don't, I don't do, do much. much. I am still a cancer, and I just sometimes am at home on on TikTok. That's why I have so many TikToks because I'm at home. Yeah. Well, I love it. Love that we could have you today. We so appreciate your time and your energy. We have lots of great ways for folks to get in touch with Lauren in the show notes, um, including social links. And obviously, if you are a student at Tulane and you want to take intro to nutrition, you've got to sign up for Professor Bell's class. Yes. Yes. Hello. (laughs) You're the best. You're the best. And you are also educating folks for free. On All the time, the internet. So we appreciate your efforts in an and... approachable, real yes, way. Yes, thank completely. you, thank you. I just like to chat. I just Jim and I, Sally. I'm just. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm gonna keep talking about it. Blah blah blah. 
So yeah, thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And y'all, we will see you next time on another episode of Arrest Days. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.